This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gautier and is from the last Sunday after Pentecost. I don't know about you, but all my life I've had two recurring dreams. And the first one I'll call the naked dream. Somehow I'm out in a public place, it's at a meeting, I'm at the office, um, some church thing. I'm in a place and I just forgot to wear clothes. And amazingly, no one seems to notice. But I'm sure that at any moment, somebody's got to figure this out. So I'm missing, what do I do? And at that moment, I wake up and say, whoa, that's great. It was just a dream. The other recurring dream to me is the I'm too late dream. It's too late. Is It's always I'm in college, and it's the end of the semester, a few days before the final exams. And I found out that I signed up for a course I completely forgot about, and I hadn't dropped it, so I couldn't drop it. It was too late to drop. And it's not something like a literature or something, with all respect, where you could conceivably, you know, read the cliff notes and talk to people and try to fake your way through. It's like, we're talking calculus for organic chem or foreign language. There was no way you could do this. And that, too, with the late dream is, then I wake up and say, wow, am I glad that's just a dream. The naked dream and the I'm too late dream. I imagine that a lot of us here probably are having the same dream spiritually, except we're wide awake. Like the naked dream, we're really aware of the sin and shame in our life. It makes us feel terrible. We have the feeling, how come no one has noticed? Somebody is bound to notice. Why am I not like everybody else? There's something wrong, and no one is, it's bound to come out. And I think a lot of us are like the too late dream. We missed our chance. My life has gone by. I made some wrong decisions, but it's too late now. If I had to do over, but I don't. Again, the naked dream, the late dream, except wide awake spiritually. I'm in a terrible situation, too late to change anything. Well, for any of us in this situation, this gospel offers tremendously wonderful news. Take courage profound hope, because the thief on the cross was in exactly that situation, except he really was exposed. And talk about, imagine having your life reduced to a single word. See, Romans were put on tops of crosses. It was meant to be for for public education, so you wouldn't do this, what people had done. Remember, Jesus has a sign on the top of his cross. So the thief would have a sign saying, thief. Imagine having your whole life reduced to that, thief. Liar, coward, your entire life reduced to that. Well, the thief was in exactly that place. Mind you, we don't know his name to this day, do we? We still call him the thief. And it really was too late. There was no, he was minutes before he was going to die. There was no way he could have a second start in anything. It was too late. But something amazing happens. You remember in the book of Genesis that after sin, we're driven from the God. We're driven from paradise. And at Christ's cross, in his victory on the cross, paradise is reopened. And guess who's the first one coming in? He says, you know, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The scripture says, some of the last will be first. And here he is. So we have to ask ourselves, wow, what a turnaround. In a few minutes, What happened? Why him of all people? 
Well, to understand this, I think we have to go back to Jesus' role as the anointed one, the Messiah. And again, we don't, the, the Jews anointed a king. So we would say probably something like the crowned one, you know, the one who was to be king, the crowned one, the Messiah. And remember, that was his primary mission. We're told the angel in heaven announcing his birth you know, at Bethlehem, what did they say? They said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. That means the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, the crowned one, the Lord. And what was so special about this? Well, he was crowned in the sense he would be a victorious king. He was the promise Israel would have a victorious king. But from this point, we have a profound disconnect between expectations and reality. See, haven't you had that sometimes? You prepare a long time, you think about, dream about a vacation, and when you actually go there, it's different than what you thought. Sometimes it's a happy surprise. It's even better. You didn't think it could be it's everything you dreamed and more. Sometimes it's sort of a bust. It's not what you thought it could be. Well, this is what happens is there were expectations Israel had about Jesus, and there was the reality of what would happen. There was a disconnect. So what was the disconnect? Israel expected, first of all, that this victorious king would be victorious because he defeated Israel's enemies. Israel had been run over, invaded again and again, occupied. They wanted a king who finally could have victory, could conquer their enemies. Second thing is they wanted, they had been occupied, paying tribute. They wanted to be a free people in their own land. They wanted to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And that's what this Messiah would do, the anointed, the kingly one, the, the crowned one would do this. And finally, all these nations who stood as a threat to pacify the way the Romans did, right? The Romans had the peace because they were on top. People wouldn't bother them, that they would pacify the nations. This was the promise. The king who would defeat Israel's enemies, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, and forever pacify the nations. Well, the reality turned to be out quite different. It was a infinitely greater reality. Instead of simply conquering Israel's enemies, the Messiah was to conquer sin and death. Something beyond, we think of anything that could happen, conquer sin and death. And not just reestablishing the kingdom of Israel, as beautiful as that hope was, to establish the kingdom of God that encompassed the whole universe to establish the kingdom of God. And not to pacify the nations, to reconcile everyone together, Jew and Gentile together, into one people. Wow, that was a different vision. Israel, it's like that vacation dream. Israel was expecting Toledo. God was sending Seattle. Now, there's another difference that's very important here. How would all of this be accomplished? How would this victory take place? They naturally thought of victory as being a military victory, like the Romans had conquered things, a great military victory we'd be talking about to this day. The actual victory would actually be apparently in defeat. Christ's victory was on the cross. It's on the cross that he destroyed sin and death. The victory of Christ is on the cross. The resurrection is a, is a victory lap. You know, the, death, the, 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 the heart of the, the Christ de slew death on the cross. That's his victory. It sure didn't look like victory. It looked like shame and defeat. But that was it, apparent victory. He, had to, he defeated death and shame by under, undertaking both, undergoing both. So again, basically Israel expected and their vacation to ride on a plane. We're talking about a long, long hike. So this difference in expectations caused a constant tension in Jesus' earthly ministry. 
It was so bad that Jesus hated when people would mention the word Messiah because immediately they would think of those other things. It's like me. I'm an accountant, and I dread going to a party when people ask what I do. The minute I say accountant, people are fleeing. They have to f refresh their drinks, and they're going with full glasses. You know, they're, 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 they think they're facing existential boredom. Okay, so basically, I'm defined like that. So Jesus is basically you know, the Messiah. He says, don't use the word. The minute you do, people have all these expectations that come up. In Mark's gospel, a constant theme they call it the messianic secret. Every time someone who's been there said, he's the Christ, he's the... You know, no, don't say that. Be quiet. So that, that, this misunderstanding was that deep. Even his closest apostles next to him never got it. Peter, at his great moment, we talk about his confession of faith. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That seemed a great moment, doesn't it? You're the Messiah. What does he say after that? Jesus says, yes, and I'm going to die and suffer. Oh, no, that's not going to happen to you. He had a different dream. You're the Messiah, but oh, no, death and suffering, that can't be for you. And even imagine this. Jesus tells one of the times he predicted his death. He said, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die there. I'm going to be handed over. And you know what people were talking about on the road? They were jockeying in positions for Jesus' cabinet in the new kingdom. Who's the greatest? They were looking for positions when Jesus had just told them he was about to die. A complete disconnect in expectations. So what happened on the cross? Well, most people thought the, the, what the cross proved that they were right and Jesus was wrong. Come on already, talk about a shameful the scandal of the cross. They made fun of it. They put on the top of the cross, yeah, this is the king of the Jews. This doesn't look like much of a victory or much of a king, does it? And they said, okay. And the people taunting him on the cross said things. Well, if you're the king, why, show us the victory. Why don't you just walk down? We'll start there. And even the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the night of Easter, when Jesus taught, they don't recognize Jesus. He's talking to them. What do did, what did, what did they say to him? They talk about the crucifixion. They say, they say, you know, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was one to redeem Israel. All that was gone on the cross. People couldn't get past it, the scandal of the cross. But there was one person on Good Friday who wasn't scandalized by the cross. One person could actually see through the shame to the glory. First of all, he saw righteousness where everyone else saw condemnation. Remember in this gospel, he did nothing wrong. And the second thing, he saw victory where others saw defeat. He presumed Jesus would, in fact, enter his kingdom when you enter your kingdom. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And because he could see past the shame to the glory, he could reach out. He could, he could reach out to Jesus, and that's why he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus could respond, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I think there are three vital lessons from this story to us. And the first is we have to see past the scandal of the cross in our own lives. You know, we look at Israel and say, well, they had such a narrow view of the Messiah. Isn't that sad? Well, maybe we have a narrow view sometimes of our Christian life. Is our life as Christians, is our vision of that really much different from a regular life? Do we expect, yeah, maybe there are going to be some bumps, but after all, it's basically going to be a smooth ride. So what happens when things go wrong? Things really go wrong. Happens all the time. People are scandalized when they confront suffering. We see it as proof of God's weakness. Where was God? Why aren't you here? Where was he? 
We see as a proof that somehow God has rejected us. We see the scandal as, as it's a stumbling. That's what scandal means, a stumbling block for us. How can we get past this? If God loved me, where was he? And yet Jesus taught us this isn't a bump on the journey. This is the journey. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Christian life is nothing but bumps. It is the way of the cross. Complete self-giving all. That's what the life is. So like the good thief, we need the virtue of hope. You know what the virtue of hope is? Remember we said, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We focus on the cross we're carrying. Hope allows us to focus on the one we're following and where he's heading. Again, we focus on the cro our cross we're carrying. Hope means we look beyond our cross, we see Jesus out ahead of us and where he's heading. That's what hope looks like. That's why Paul says to us, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him with a resurrection like his. So the good thief, like the good thief, we can see both. We can see the kingdom at the end of the path, a bumpy path, but we see the kingdom. And more than that, we see like the thief did, we see a God who is suffering right next to us at our side. Not an absent God, a God who is right there in our pain. That's what we see. The second lesson is backing to the naked dream. We may forget who we are, but God never does. You see, Jesus sees us completely exposed. He, there's not, no mystery to God. He sees it all. He knows our, the things we're most ashamed of, the things we most wish were out of our life. He sees it all, and it doesn't make any difference. I think I'll tell you a story about my maternal grandmother, a very special person in my life, because in our family, my parents didn't want a Jacob Joseph type of thing. So they were scrupulous that they treated every one of us, the five children, absolutely equally. And that was great and that was wonderful. But I got to tell you, sometimes you'd like to sort of be special. It would be really neat. And my grandmother did just that. I was her favorite. The family couldn't figure out what the reason was, but for some reason it was clearly I was her favorite. Had a lot of grandchildren, it was me. And then one day, just took that as a given, one day she was telling me a story about when she first got married, that my grandfather had to go off to the lumber camp for four months, leaving her with the in-laws. It was that season, he had to go off to the lumber camp for four months. And then she pulled out a picture that wasn't in any of our family albums. It was my grandfather in the lumber camp. And guess what I saw? It was me. My grandfather as a young man looked exactly like I did as a young man. Exactly. So she saw in me, why was I her favorite? She saw my grandfather. And that's what God does. God sees in us, no matter what we've done, he sees that image and he loves it, the image of God in us. In Isaiah, God says, can a woman forget a nursing child? It says, would she have no compassion for the son of her womb? He says, even if she forgot, he said, I'll never forget you. Even if a mother could forget her child, mine is stronger, I'll never forget you. So how can we ever believe that personally? Well. Think of the good thief. He was exposed, but so was Jesus. Jesus was in the same place with him. And the same things as Pastor, that's what it means that Jesus died on the cross for us. We have all that guilt and shame, but Jesus has exactly, he is carrying the same guilt and shame right next to us. That's why we have hope. That's why we know that God's not giving up on us. Third lesson, it's never too late to turn to God. You know, I had an aunt once, you know, who... People always spoke very piously of, you know, of, of the scriptures, but she just thought it was unfair, one of the stories of Jesus. She didn't like it. 
is a story, remember a guy goes out in the morning and he hires people. He needs people to work in his fields. And he hires them and then during the day he hires more people and finally he hires people like an hour before the end of the day. Just going to work an hour that day. And he gives the one who works an hour at the end of the day the same wages, even though he just worked an hour. My answer, that's just not fair. It's not right. Well, I don't know what she would think about the good thief because he didn't work 20 minutes. So there's the idea, the, there's no time ever it's too late to turn to God. You know, some people say, what about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, in Scripture, what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is against, what convicts us, what, which brings us to God, we realize our misery, which brings us to God, is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is we simply close our ear to God's Spirit. If we feel guilt, that's the Spirit. We could not have committed the sin. No one is too far along for God, never too late. So, in conclusion, we can say this gospel offers everyone incredibly good news. If we've been burdened by shame, if we think we're not good enough, I've not been the parent I should have been, or the mother, I've not been a good enough Christian, if people really knew some things in my life, what in the world would they think? Gospel tells us Jesus has seen it all and he still loves us. If we're told in the New Testament, it says, here's how you know God loves us it's while we were still sinning that Christ died for us. What about all of us who think it might be too late? We've made those decisions. We've sinned too much. It's all over in our life. That was then. This is now. Gospel offers great hope. Like the thief on the cross, we can always reach out. It's always just the right time. As Paul says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Or what about those of us who worry about someone, a child, a parent who's far from the Lord, or even someone who died far from the Lord? What about that? I love the story with the good thief. You see, I'm a pretty conservative guy about scriptures. I think the scriptures mean what they say. And I've got to tell you that Matthew and Mark tell us very specifically that both thieves cursed Jesus and mocked him. Luke's gospel tells us of a good thief. Well, people who don't believe the scriptures say, well, there must be different versions, different stories. I don't think so. I think that man started mocking, and I think something changed. So the point is, if somebody had left earlier, what would they say about that thief? A few minutes earlier, ten minutes earlier, what would they say? He died far from the Lord. They would have said that about the first man to enter paradise with Jesus. We never know whether someone at the last moment says yes to God. So all of us today are going to actually be in the same position the thief was in. When we approach the table, we are actually coming back to Calvary. We are actually meeting Jesus on the cross. We're participating in his, in his life and in his death. That's what it means. We're right next. We're as close to Jesus, actually closer than the thief on the cross. So what do we say when we come to Jesus in something like this? What do we say if we're in any of those cases? Well, if you've known me for 20 minutes, you'll know I love to, to quote my father. He said, well, my father used to say this or used to say thing, that. But I think the thing I most remember with greatest fondness of my, my dad is something he said to me just once in my life. He said to me once, I used to go out you know, with, with the guys on Friday and Saturday nights, pick up and go out, go out. And he said, son, same day you may find yourself in a place you shouldn't be, with people you shouldn't be with, doing things you shouldn't be doing, and you want a way out. You know this, if you call home, I'll come and pick you up, no questions asked. So maybe for any of us, many of us today, our prayer to God should be pretty much that phone call home. Hey, Dad, it's me. I need a ride home. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.